So right before I walked out here, Josh was like, don't screw it up. First thing I do, <laughs> drop the iPad. We're off to a great start. How about a round of applause for the coffee bar being open again? Is that not just the best thing that could have possibly happened? So good morning, Fort Christian Church. It's so good to see so many of you this morning um, that we're here and that we're, hey, and that we're here and that we're attentive and, you know, like uh, ready to, to receive God's word. Um, this is our final week in the Bad Religion series, and we have walked away with quite a bit so far. Um, Josh started us off in the book of Amos talking about how Israel had lost sight of God's purpose for them, which ultimately made them enemies of God and not working for the kingdom. And then he continued the following week talking about lying and hypocrisy in the church. Last week, Virgil talked about our obsession to appear appear perfect uh, in a sermon that he called Sunday Best, which is so clever and creative for that topic. I loved it. Um... And uh, I'm going to be moving us forward. If you'd like to catch up on those sermons, uh, if you're at home, you could do so on our website and watch them there. Um, But my focus is solely on this message today because it's a big one. This series, Bad Religion, we take a look at how our actions may cause people to turn away from the faith. And it's probably easy to stomach when we discuss examples from Scripture and how this has happened in Scripture before, but... It's much, much more difficult to stomach when we talk about how scripture is looking at our own lives and revealing in our own lives how we do this, how we turn people away from the faith. Because as much as we don't want to admit it, sometimes we do. And we're going to be closing this whole series out in chapter one of the book of James. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles there, or if you want to turn on your phones, I won't mind the screen illuminating your face. Um, here's some backstory. James wrote this book over 50 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. 50 years later. And for those of you that are unaware, James was the half brother of Jesus. Uh, they shared the same mother, Mary. And throughout Jesus's ministry, James was not a believer. Throughout Jesus walking on earth and sharing who he was, James did not believe. That's something that we don't really pick up on, but it's kind of scattered throughout the gospel. Um, It's hit on a few times in scripture. It's kind of of depressing, but at the same time, when you think of it, I mean, like, you know, if you're around that age, late teens, who really believes in their sibling all that much? You know what I mean? I know when I was like 17 years old, if I had to think about my brother, I'm like, oh, he's not going to go anywhere. Um, Things changed for James, though. It wasn't until he saw his brother crucified and then saw him again after he was resurrected that James became a believer. He didn't believe throughout Christ's entire ministry, but he had a conversation with the resurrected king. Someone he believed to be dead came to have a conversation with him. So obviously that could change someone's mind. And it was then that he realized that every single thing that Jesus had said about himself was true. So James went from being a doubter to a believer. And when we read his letter, we're reading words from a man that is fully bought into the truth. And he is writing to a church that is in a lot of pain in the book of James. The church has been scattered by the Roman government, and they're scared 
and they're in the midst of being persecuted for their faith. So now that you have that background, my hope is that it gives us a better understanding for what we're going to hear in this section of scripture. When the pandemic started, um, which I believe was on a Thursday, if anyone remembers, um, the following Monday, me and the students started an online Zoom Bible study. And the Bible study that we started was on the book of James. And I had to let them know up front, this man is very blunt. This man is very hard hitting. Some people don't like the message of the book of James because it makes them feel bad about themselves. He's very, very honest. But the reality of it is that it comes from a man who is trying to prevent the church from going in a certain direction. So we're going to kick things off um, in chapter 1, verse 19. Um, and that section of scripture is called listening and doing. So it's basically like, hear the word, do the word. Hear the word, do the word. Um, for anyone in here that has ever skateboarded or used to skateboard when they were younger, like myself, before their knees started hurting, um, you know, like when you're skating, you kind of, there's this thing that's called carving where you go to the left and then to the right and to the left and to the right. You don't want to go straight because then you get what's called a death wobble. That's what they call it, where the board starts to go out of control and eventually it propels you forward and you break multiple things. But you want to carve left and then carve right and then carve left and carve right. And it builds momentum and you speed up and it gets you to where you're going and you're in control the entire time. But if you just carved right and then right and then right, you're going in a circle. You're not getting anywhere. You lose all of your momentum. And eventually you just stop. And that's kind of the message that we're hearing here. We're supposed to know the word and do the word. Know the word, do the word, know the word, do the word. But unfortunately, so many people in the church have gotten into the habit of just knowing, 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 knowing. That they're just going in a circle and they're losing momentum. Does that make sense, that illustration? I know a lot of you don't skate, so I'm glad that it does. Um, and then there's the opposite, the people that just do the word. Do the word, do the word, do the word. And they put themselves in a position where they feel like they're somehow better than the ones that know the word because they're out there doing it. They don't really study it that much themselves. They already went to school. They don't need to read anymore, right? But what we're hearing here is something different. So we're kicking off chapter 1, verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. People detest this section of scripture because of how blunt it is. But even something as simple as verse 19 is often taken out of context. We're looking at the New Living Translation right now, but if you looked at the ESV or all of these other different translations, it's not brothers and sisters. It simply says, my beloved. Know this, my beloved. And the reason that it does that is because we are all God's beloved. And every important message that we hear, it starts with God's love. 
This is a very important message in scripture, and it all starts with the love of God. And we are finding out our identity right up front. We are God's beloved. My wife is here. She's my beloved. My daughter is here. She is my beloved. That's how God loves you. Scripture tells us that God loves us the way that a husband is supposed to love his wife and the way that a father is supposed to love his, love his kids. That is what establishes our identity. And out of your identity comes your activity. Before God tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. So this is very important to establish up front because when this message is preached, there's always going to be people that email afterwards and say something like, so what you're telling me is that my works are somehow more important than my faith. No, that is not what I am saying. That's never the message with this section of scripture. Um, I'm saying that what we're learning today, it starts with the love of God. So when we hear what we should be doing, it doesn't mean that we're working for the love of God. It means that we are working from the love of God. Amen? So you can go back to the New Living Translation if you want. James is apparently keenly aware of how people act when they face tough times. Uh, these are people who have gone through a lot because of their faith in Christ. But in the midst of their persecution and struggles caused by the outside world, James seems to have another concern. He seems to be worried about something else. He is less concerned with the church's being in the world. He is much more concerned with the world being in the church. He is not so much concerned with what they're going through, which is a lot. He is more concerned with how they're responding to what they're going through. He's addressing this worldly mindedness that so many believers have within the church. He's saying, don't adapt to the worldly way of thinking that goes on around you because it ignores what your new identity is. So he instructs these persecuted believers, just like he instructs you and I today, take a breath, slow down, be patient, even when you don't want to be. Because when we're angry, we take the complete opposite attitude of how Jesus, or James is instructing us to be. And a lot of times we just make matters worse. James has the knowledge here that circumstances that we go through, the lows in our lives, uh, the valleys that we have to endure, they can make us snap towards people in our lives that truly care and that we truly need. And that can put us in conflict with those people. So his instructions are very, very clear. clear. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to get angry. And honestly, within the church especially, I am not sure if there is a more needed verse today. Today, May 2021. I'm not sure if there's something that we need to hear more than this. Don't you think every single relationship in the world would be better if every single person was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry? It is such an important message right now because we live in a world and in a society where everyone wants to be heard, right? Everyone wants to tweet. Everyone wants to spend a chunk of their day typing up something profound that they can share to Facebook. A lot of us just talk too much. 
were kind of consumed with this. And I know that all of you were like listening to me up here talking, but we're going to overlook that for a minute. A lot of us just talk entirely too much. And if you ever wonder, am I that person? Am I this one that talks too much? Do I share my opinion too much? Is this maybe off-putting to other people? This is the funnest way that you could possibly find out. Ask your spouse. You will find out very fast. (laughs) Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And be slow to get angry. Our world is so on edge right now. When we're really listening and not just waiting to talk, we see friendships and relationships get deeper and we see conflicts resolved very easily. One of the things that we discuss a lot in youth group is inviting friends, that we need to be bringers. There are people in our lives that desperately need to hear this message that we share every single week. Be sure to bring your friends. Um, But I have to say, don't be like that bullhorn guy. You know, the one that's just at the entrance of your school yelling, repent to everyone that's like coming in. It's a little off-putting. You have to earn their respect. You have to work on that relationship to be able to invite them. They have to know who you are and trust who you are to want to be able to come to something like this. I have been, I have been employed here for three years, which is not long in the grand scheme of careers and jobs. Though apparently, I have set some kind of record for the longest youth pastor at Fort Christian Church, so all right for that. But um, three, <laughs> three years, not a long time to maintain one job. It's not, it's not that much. But in the three years that I have been here, I was talking to um, Jack about this a few weeks ago. In the three years that I've been here, I don't come across a lot of people that want to volunteer for student ministry. I have people that occasionally will say something like, oh, I would love to come and help out for one day. I would love to come and provide a meal and things like that. And we love that. We need things like that. But in the ministry, what we especially need, the kind of leaders that we have now that are working with all of your students and doing a fantastic job are the ones that want to be here every single week. The ones that want to earn those relationships with students. You might be surprised to hear this, but I don't have a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers that come up to me and say, will you be my friend and also tell me everything that you know about life in Jesus? It doesn't happen. Really? Indeed. We have to earn the right to be heard in their lives. Earning the right is not easy. Some people will blow you off before you can even say hi to them. And what I mean by earning the right is gaining respect. And respect leads to them trusting the information that you are sharing with them. Hearing what a person is saying and taking it to heart means having respect for that individual. We have to earn their respect and earn the right to be heard. And that takes time. And it takes strong relationships. And most people don't want to put in that kind of work. It's sort of the opposite of how we want to be because we're like all about now. But what James is saying to us is slow down. Take things in. Be quick to listen. Stop expressing yourself so quickly. 
Because when we jump to respond, a lot of times it's reactionary. And when it's reactionary, it comes from anger. And verse 20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. He continues in 21 through 22 saying, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. So what we're told to do instead of reacting or expressing our immediate feelings in verse 21 is to humbly receive the implanted word. God is like a gardener. He's trying to plant his word in your heart. But the reason that those two verses are together is because there's a pattern that we're supposed to follow here. First, humbly accept the word that God has put in your heart. And second, do what it says. Step one, know it. Step two, do it. Know it and then go do it. This part, the mouth, surprisingly, does not factor into the equation. That is something that a lot of people don't like to hear. Am I hurting feelings yet? (sighs) One of the biggest obstacles that I have with students is teaching them, or while I'm teaching them the word of the Lord, is trying to convince them that this is not a book of rules. Because that is how they grow up seeing it. And a lot of times, as adults, that's how we grow up teaching it. And it has been far too long that we have looked at this as like a key to sin management. It's not supposed to be, this tells us what we don't do. It's, this is telling us what we will do. This is telling us how we will live. That's how we need to be seeing it. This is huge in James's writing. Um, But scripture is clear. Stop all of this. Hear the word and then do the word. And I struggle a lot with the end of verse 22, if you want to put that back up. Um, The Bible describes Satan as the great deceiver, but clearly he is not the only deceiver because we deceive ourselves. When you argue with other people about the way that you think things should be, do you think you're uniting the church or dividing it? Don't you think that maybe we have enough division in the church as it is? This is a bad religion message that people really, really need to hear. Did you know that Christianity is the largest faith group in the entire world? We're number one. Hooray. Did you know that Christianity is the most divided faith group in the entire world? And it isn't close. It is not even close. We have thousands and thousands of denominations and ministries that all believe that their theology and their methods are superior to others. And we're not quiet about it. We argue and we bicker. Can you imagine a non-believer going online today or God forbid, six months ago in the midst of the election and trying to find a church and seeing how much the church fights amongst itself about every topic that is out there. And I'm on Facebook. I don't use it that much anymore, but I see the things that a lot of people say, a lot of my believing friends say. And man, we fight. And we are not shy about which side we fall on when it comes to any topic. 
This is going to make the room cringe. Are you ready? There are Democrats in this room and Republicans. All lives, blue lives, black lives, get the vaccine. I'm anti-vaccine. Wear the mask. Forget the mask. Coke and Pepsi. Where does it stop, guys? You know? We're so focused on speaking up where we personally fall and defending it, we fail to love people who think the opposite of us. And we just end up bickering among our own faith, and then we wonder why people aren't so anxious to join this family. I love this illustration in uh, 23 through 24. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Another way to look at that, what what is the point? Why did I just look at myself and already forget? If you're going to hear something great and not do anything with it, then what was the point? Right? We need to be hearers and doers, knowers and doers of the word. 125 says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. So going back to what we were talking about earlier about faith and about acts, we read his word, we hear his word, and we are saved by our faith in him who overcame death itself, not by our actions, but we are blessed when we go out and love others. We are blessed when we love them the way that Jesus loved us. And what way was that? It was when we didn't deserve it. If someone says something that we don't agree with, our reaction shouldn't be to immediately respond to it. It should be, how do I love this person in this moment? It's not tough for me because, I, like I said a minute ago, I'm pretty much done with social media at this point in my life. Um, I'm on there, and I talk to students on there, but I don't really post on there. Maybe a picture of my daughter like once every six months. Other than that, anyone who's my friend on social media, you'll know the only thing that I really post is what movie I'm watching before I go to bed at night. And even that causes fighting and causes bickering among people. I could say something as simple as, you know, Ben is watching Back to the Future and get a response that says, lame, Back to the Future 2 is better. Okay, I'll stop watching this and watch Back to the Future 2. Thanks for the suggestion. Ben and his family are watching Dumbo. Stop remaking our classics. Ease up, Disney. How about you ease up, Diane? I'm just trying to watch a movie with my family. Our snacks are store-bought too. Do you want to complain about that? My daughter's five. I'm not going to be showing her The Godfather tonight. Dumbo it is. If you follow me on Facebook, you know the other night that I I watched a movie called WALL-E. Have you guys ever seen that? It is a terribly brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant. It made $530 million at the box office, won an Oscar for Best Animated Film, and it's on a lot of lists as one of the best films of the 21st century. And its main character is a trash compactor that doesn't talk. And it's a Disney movie, it's a kid's movie, and kids get it, and they love it. A trash compactor that doesn't talk. It takes place in the future, and one of the subplots of this movie is how over generations people being confined to this spaceship, they have kind of stopped working out. 
they've stopped moving, and they're all sort of just bedridden. They go around in these beds that move around the ship. They stay still. And machines feed them and give them drinks. They don't really do any actual moving on their own. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, as I'm working on this sermon, this is so much like the church right now. It is a weird comparison, but it is. There are so many of us who just want to be fed his word and then not do anything with it. There's so many of us that just want to hear this and not do. And they've been fed it for so long without following up on it. You wonder if they can even do something with it anymore. We are in the habit of hearing without doing, just like eating without moving. And James is desperately trying to prevent the church from becoming like that. So let's wrap this up with uh, verse 26 through 27. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So verse 27 specifically, there are two parts to that. First, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. You want to know what God wants us to do? What God sees as pure and genuine action from religion? It's not the stuff where you're so educated, you tell people when they're wrong. It is going out and caring for those who are in need. He would love it if we would care for widows in their distress, if we would seek out orphans in their need, if we would take care of a, of a world that is hurting. Maybe pure religion isn't so much of this. It's less talking and more listening to the hurt that is taking place all around us. So many members of this church take that to heart, and I love it. I love seeing all of the families here that are involved in foster care and that do adoption. It's, it's absolutely incredible. It is encouraging to see. Um, we know about hunger in third world countries. We support ministries and missionaries that are out there. We know about families that are fighting to get fresh water daily today. We support the ministries that act on that. We know about all of the big issues that the world faces, but if I could take you back to Sunday school real quick and go back to the story of Jonah, one that adults don't really discuss that much. We know that there's a lot the church needs to address all around us and most importantly within our own hearts. If I ask a lot of people what the message of Jonah is, the answer that I'll inevitably get is stay away from giant fish. <laughs> and it misses the point. Um, <laughs> in reality, it's about how one man is ruined spiritually and morally because of his own refusal to do ministry next door. There's plenty going on in the world right outside of these doors, but sometimes our hearts just aren't in it, which brings us to the second part of verse 27. Refuse to let the world corrupt you. Refuse to let the world corrupt you. We need to put our faith into action and we need to have a concern for personal holiness at the same time. 
My wife told me the other day, and I didn't know this, that every time she goes to work, every single time she drives to work, she says a prayer for God to be in that building and to soften her heart and to help her love those people in the middle of everything that they're going through every single day. And it is that simple. Coming before God and inviting him into your day, into your life, into your attitude, and then putting that into action. That is undefiled religion before God. Be doers of the word not just hearers. God is telling us through James, don't argue, don't bicker, don't let yourself be dragged into the fights that are undoubtedly going to go on around you for the rest of your lives. Do less of this, do more of this. Listen, hear the word, know the word, know the word in your heart, and then go and do. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this message this morning. Um, And just for everyone at this church um, who I get to share in this faith with, Lord. Um, This is such an important message for everyone here today, everyone in the church and everyone outside of the church, God. If we could just learn to be the way that James instructs us and to do more with the word as opposed to hearing so much we could really make a change, God. And it's my prayer that we do that today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.